Welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, joined as always by Raj Chafalu. Raj, I was just on the pressure cooker with Aaron and Anthony. It's a lovely little thing that we host during the last five minutes of close games. Unfortunately, the two times that we've hosted it during the finals have both been Boston Celtics wins. And uh, Aaron was clowning me as I left to record this podcast because he's like, do you really love basketball today? And uh, I'm here to tell you that I always love basketball, but watching Paul Pierce celebrate, woo, few things ruin it as much as that. <laughs> Raj, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Um, for me, this series, I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm not rooting for Boston, but I can't get myself to also root for Golden State. So it's like, I'm just watching the basketball. Was Paul Pierce wearing a jacket that had multiple teams on it? Did I see that correctly? Did it have like the Celtics the and the Wizards and I the Clippers? I saw Paul Pierce on the screen. I turned away. I did okay. not want to be associated with that at all. I didn't even want it in my eye line. Uh, I think he's... No, I don't even think he is definitely my most hated Celtic of all time. Like it's not even particularly close. Yeah, he's he's definitely up there in he's my number one. Uh, yeah, that game that game one that he um pooped his pants I think was was the story that oh came my out. God, we were up that game. I'll never forget. Like we were actually up and we were winning. He came back in. I think he had two threes. That's definitely changed the momentum. So that's enough. Paul, oh that's gosh, enough. Paul yeah. Pierce. Yeah, but I just remember um, he had this awful jacket on. Um, but yeah, the war yeah. the. The Boston Celtics won, sadly. They're up 2-1. Mm-hmm. If I do my math correctly, the Warriors have to win three of four now. <laughs> and uh, I always put it like that. Solid it looks math, lot- Raj. <laughs> I always put it that way, and it always feels more daunting, I think, than what it actually is mm-hmm. if you go game by game. Uh, but the Celtics have not lost consecutive games this playoffs, which I think is incredibly uh, fascinating to watch as, as they mm-hmm. go through. But, yeah, it's going to be tough for the Warriors. Uh, I thought, you know, they kind of came out lackadaisical in this one. Boston put the pressure on them. And, uh now they're down 2-1, so we'll see where the series goes from here. Wow, they really haven't lost consecutive games. I was just mm-hmm. uh, doing a little you know, mental recall, trying to figure out if that was true. But it turns out when you win more games than you lose in the series, it's easier not to lose consecutive games. So that is true. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had expressed some concerns about having to root for the Warriors in this series. Uh, those of you who listened to the show last week know that I was not happy about the prospect of having to root for the Warriors. But it's way easier than room for the Celtics. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't root for Boston. It's terrible. Oh my God. The green, just the, the, the championship banners that they hang that happened before integration. Like it's, oh. oh God, I can't, can't stand Boston. Um, can't stand it. It's the same place that roots for the Red Sox and the Patriots, just all of it. I don't want any of it. Um, I, I do still have some faith in the Warriors. Like, sure. I think this is very much a prisoner of the moment kind of series where after game one, everyone was like, oh my God, Boston has all of these advantages that we should have seen coming. Like look at their length and their size and they're just gonna be able to bully the Warriors. And then game two comes around and it's like, oh yeah, is Boston gonna be able to score against this Warriors defense and they mm-hmm. come back and put up 116 against them? So uh, I do think that like it's winning three out of four for the Warriors is a very reasonable ask for a team that was this good during the regular season, you know, they win game four and all of a sudden it's just a best of three. Right. And we're not even thinking about it as three out of four. It's just, you got to win more games than the other team. That's really all this comes down to. You got to win more games than the other team. Winning the game three used to be a lot more pivotal. I think um, I remember this like it was yesterday, honestly, um, when the Lakers split that 2010 series, you know, one, one at home, and then they go into Boston and they win yes. that game three at that point, in NBA finals history, 
when the series had been tied 1-1, the winner of game three was undefeated in the series. Mm. Since then, however, there have been six series with that situation where the series was tied 1-1. Mm-hmm. And the winner of game three is only three and three in those series. So it's okay. It, it literally, it doesn't, I'm not going to say it means nothing. Like it obviously means something. You want to be ahead in the series. Sure. You want to be behind. But I wouldn't suggest that this is the death knell it once was, you know, the, it, the two, two, one, one, one format, I think definitely makes it easier to come back because, you know, there's, there's more time to get in a rhythm, I think. Sure. My only pushback here is, I mean, if you go and rewatch, go back and watch these games, like it's really just the third quarters. I mean, it was tied after, you know, it was tied at halftime in game mm-hmm. one. And uh, game and two, ob- basically. And yeah. game two, right? And then obviously Boston had the huge fourth quarter and the Warriors had the huge third quarter, really, in, in these games. And then Ime Udoka basically quit early in the fourth quarter of game two. So I know, was, right? <laughs> so it was basically just a third quarter. Like if you think about game two, like people were like, oh, I, you know, I saw some Warriors and five stuff, which I thought was just absurd to mm-hmm. see after that game. But people are saying, you know, how is Boston going to react to this? And I'm thinking it was one third quarter. It was tied <laughs> at halftime. And then I mean, Udoka... But and you can also out say that the Warriors had game one wrapped up like, you know, sure. They were the better team for three quarters in that series. I mean, that game, but sure. it's all about perspective, right? I mean, no. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but I mean, you lose a game where Steph and Clay hit 11 threes combined. I mean, I think that's tough. And a lot of these clay shots, Serena, I'm watching this. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not glad, but I'm like, I would have died in a Laker <laughs> warrior series. Like on some of these, yeah. Rob Williams, like wasn't up and you know, mm-hmm. Mark Jackson keeps calling it a drop. It's not, it's not really a drop, right? It's just it's that these technically these... a drop because he's not like completely coming to the level of the screen, but, but when he's the above screen the three is point set line. like four feet beyond exactly. the three point line, exactly. a drop still is at the three point line. <laughs> exactly and you know they keep saying you got to be up and you know it's easier said than done obviously mm-hmm. but there's this one place where auto porter set the screen at the logo like it was like and it's not it wasn't just like one of those screens in transition it was like a literal he's gonna set the screen at the logo mm-hmm. and then i think it was horford and like poor horford you know like he plays the first one properly <laughs> and then it's like a rescreen and steph just fires from like 35 feet and yeah. it was a swish yeah. like, man there's nothing um you can really do and clay thompson the same way just fading turning you know trying to get in shape with the rim like while you know on the catch it's just those are just tough shots you have to kind of live with and thought it was impressive boston won with the two guys going off um and i think you know jordan Poole's gonna have to play better draymond i'm not sure what tonight was honestly from from, from draymond a lot of uh, aaron was streamer. very disappointed with draymond today <laughs> i don't think he was the only one uh disappointed with draymond uh but you know, I want to ask you, because I think the Warriors went fully small ball, right? I think Looney played like 15 minutes tonight. So it was basically Draymond center with Otto Porter. And I'm watching, is that enough shot blocking rim protection when with like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown going to the rim like that? I think that's a tough decision for you know them to go. Jason Tatum just putting his head down now. Mm-hmm. Missed a few layups, but he's getting to the rim and then he's kicking out. Is that enough? Do you think they can stay with that as the series goes on? I, that's like one of my main things I'm watching. I'm like, can... Can the Warriors win just playing this small? And Steph and Clay have to work so hard, Serena, like to get open. Smart is like living on his shoulder. And they're going to call a I few mean, of those. fouling him a lot. <laughs> but that's kind of what you have to do. You have to be uber physical and make the refs, you know, mm-hmm. make the call. But can they play this small ball and kind of um, continue and, and continue with this series? Well, first things first, Boston is playing incredibly physical on Steph. Like right. Al Horford gets him with the flagrant, first of all. And then dives past his knee seven more possession i've never seen anything like it um me either 
uh, Kevin Pelton of ESPN said there hadn't been any seven point possessions in the NBA this year. I wish he would have checked, you know, a little longer, but I assume it's a difficult task to perform. Um, but yeah, they're, they're playing Steph super physical. I worry about his knee, his rib coming into game four, which is the first game that is a 48 hour turnaround, not 72, like the first, you know, three have been, um, but I, the thing with golden state is like, they trust their switching to keep you out of the paint, right? It's not that they need the rim protection itself. They just need to keep you out of the paint to begin with. And when Steph is not playing well defensively, then they just hunt and attack him over and over again. And those fouls did not help. Um, I guess, you know, maybe this is where you try Kaminga. This is where you hope that Andre Wadala can give you some minutes because he's a guy that can actually keep people out of the paint. Like he's just a brick wall of a man. Like you cannot sure. just work your way past him. So I think just offensively, they're worried about their ability to score with Looney. Um, and if yeah. he's like having a bad hand game, you know what I mean? Like if he's not, just, if he's like flubbing some catches right around the rim, then it's, it's not really tenable to keep Looney in for that long. I will say that, uh, <laughs> in this very specific fantasy game that I play for these NBA finals, I need Kevon Looney to rack up as many rebounds as possible. So I hope that they find a way to keep him on the floor more often. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that they're, they're not going to change, you know, their identity and like keep Looney in the game more because I do believe that their, their switching should be enough to keep Boston out of the paint. They just need stronger individual defensive efforts. Um, and maybe that's just like if Iguodala is actually healthy to go for more than two minutes, you know, and we don't know if that's going to happen because again, short turnaround before game four, but I, I think they're going to just try to be better on their defense principles first before, you know, completely changing them. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you about Boston's defense because yeah, uh, I have, you and I mentioned this beforehand. like, I don't know how to connect this to the Lakers. I really don't. Uh, but <laughs> I really did think that the Lakers had a nice way of defending the Warriors at that Frank Vogel 2019 2080 peak but like is that so really the warriors ago. i don't even know like it's even in the play-in game i thought we did a really nice job of defending the warriors once andre drummond got off the court god bless andre drummond but this is not yeah not a matchup for andre drummond um, but yeah uh boston like you said is is kind of playing drop right like they're, they're basically playing drop they're not like blitzing the pick and roll they're not going over the screens necessarily yeah. um but in a sense, like that's giving Steph and Clay like walk of three pointers. Like some of them kind of look like practice shots. Right. On the other hand, they are 30 plus feet away from the basket and you're not getting that, you know, famous warriors four on three where Draymond has the ball in the middle of the floor and he's diamond up guys at the basket and they're getting into their flow and their beautiful right. strength and numbers basketball. So on the one hand, I think it is a very dangerous game to see for sure just to say hey Steph you try to beat us because Steph Curry is an insanely good basketball player and he's making six threes like without breaking a sweat right yeah but on the other hand I do think that it, this is a more tenable strategy when Boston is actually at home because the way Steph gets the crowd riled up at or, or San Francisco like whatever they play at Chase Center yeah that makes things really challenging. Like when Steph starts hitting a couple of threes and everybody starts feeling it. Right. But I don't think that his offense had the same galvanizing effect in Boston. Um, yeah. So I do kind of understand of like, Hey, we're going to let one guy beat us. 
even if that one guy is the greatest shooter of all time. Um, but I do understand how, if you're a Warriors fan, it's a bit frustrating to watch or not a Warriors fan, like a Celtics fan, I suppose it's frustrating to watch like in the moment, because you think there's gotta be a better way to defend Steph, but it's not just about defending Steph. It's about defending the Warriors. Right. And I don't know that I necessarily disagree with the approach in terms of defending the Warriors. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. And like when you brought up Andre Iguodala, that kind of gave me Trevor Reza PTSD. So I looked this up while you were speaking. Ariza's two years younger than Iguodala, which it didn't feel that way from this season, honestly. Ariza's 36, Iguodala's 38. So when you talk about Iguodala coming back, um, and I think he also helps our offense as well, another playmaker. And You said Iguodala's younger than Ariza? No, Ar- oh. older. He's two years older, actually. Gotcha. Iguodala, uh, I think, was the oldest non-Haslam player not on the Lakers this year. <laughs> Oh, wow. Very specific okay. stat. <laughs> specific. Yeah. So, I mean, expecting him to come back, I think he helps our offense a little bit. He's not Draymond Green-esque where he won't even look at the rim, right? And you see that a lot with Draymond. Like, when he catches the ball, he's not even looking at the basket. It was like a three-on-two break, and he had the ball in the middle, and he just threw it up to Andrew Wiggins. I mean, it was a turnover. But I think, you know, it's it's a fine line to walk. Obviously, you're not, you don't want to give Steph um, open threes, but I also think they want to make him work for his shots. Like, to me, if you make Steph dribble five times and he shoots a step back, you hope it's a long two, a couple of them are long twos, but if it's a step back three contested, I think you won that possession at least. Like if it's Robert Williams in a stance, you know, and Steph does yeah, five, six he's dribbles. some long arms. Yeah. So it's five, six dribbles, step back three. Like he's going to hit some of those. So he's Steph Curry, but like you made him work forever for that. And it's not just dream on, like you talked about catches it four on three drives to the rim. And Serena, I would never help on Draymond in those positions. He's never, never shooting that ever. If he'll take one floater out of 10 possessions and maybe he'll hit that, but I'm living with that, but they always help. And obviously that's easier said than done, but they always help. And he throws the lob to Looney. I'm like, why would you even tag? That's the thing with Iguodala is obviously he's not going to be guarded on the perimeter and he shouldn't be because one, he's a supremely reluctant shooter and two, he's not a very good shooter, but when he has a lane, he will attack the rim. Right. Even though he's what 36, 37 years old, that man still got hops. Like he can dunk on you still, like it's still happening. Um, so I think that's, you know, another area where Andre is, I mean, overall offensive liability, but just like the passing and the ability to do certain specific things on offense, I think would definitely juice up, you know, what the Warriors are working with because they're kind of just thin right now. Oh yeah. Like I don't trust many people off their bench. Um, Gary Payton, the second was not the, you know, saving grace that I thought he was going to be. Um, did you see the shirt that his dad wore to the game on game two? No, I didn't catch it. It was a great like Gary Payton shirt with both of the Gary Paytons on it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Nice. I should say two of the three Gary Paytons because Gary Payton Sr., the the glove, mm-hmm. also has another son named Gary Payton Jr., which is oh, nice. why this one is Gary Payton the second. Which I don't think tracks, frankly, but hey, you know, you do you, Gary. So. Uh, yeah, I, well, I thought, you know, the size would catch up. I mean, Gary Payton's a an amazing defender, but I mean, like, I think just the size of Jalen Brown, Jason Zane would eventually kind of get to him. Um, also, last thing on, I guess, the Celtics defense, they're able to, like, switch everything off ball, which is just incredible to watch. And I hear Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, you know, saying praises about Derek White. To me, he's their worst defender, which is just the incredible part of all of it. Like, they'll just switch every off ball action. And it's like Steph attacking Derek White or Robert Williams. Like, there's no mismatch on the floor. It's just incredible you know, to put a lineup out there like that. So like Brown will communicate with smart and he'll be like, okay, you switch this. And then like, they'll switch another one. And it ends up like Steph or Steph or clay, whoever 
Clay, who should not dribble, honestly, like Clay just <laughs> shoot every single time. But Clay Which trying one's to dribble. worse, Clay dribbling or Jalen Brown dribbling? <laughs> Definitely Clay, because I think Clay oh, is okay. not going to pass at all. Like mm. he's not going to. Jalen will at least generally look for the skip pass or the roll man, yeah. like get a lob to to Robert Williams tonight. Clay is not passing that basketball. Like <laughs> if, if he holds the ball for more than three seconds, it's going up. Um, yeah, Loon Looney's not exactly a lob <laughs> target. No, yeah, no uh, Javale McGee in that spot. That's for sure. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, that was that was our that was our big man. Um, he was also the Warriors big man back in, you know, those true. Kevin Durant title days. So, yeah, very true. I do um, find myself thinking about the 2020 finals a lot when you just like wax poetic about the Celtics defense, because we had a defense like that. Right. It was. Yes, we did. No weak links. I mean, I guess Contavious Caldwell Pope was like a minor weak link. You know, Jimmy Butler um, did some mean things to KCP. <laughs> He did some mean things to the Celtics defense. He did. Too. He did. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I wouldn't say that they were all exceptional defenders. And then, you know, obviously when we went a little too switch heavy against Denver, then Jokic would have his way against our smalls. But like, these are preeminent offensive players. It's not just like Derek White bullying one of our guys over and over again. But yeah, I do miss uh, the days when the Lakers had more than one competent defensive player on the court at all times. Five competent defensive players on the court at all times. (laughs) What a delight. I do too. Someone mentioned to me this on Twitter. They compare Jordan Poole this series to Tyler Hero in that Miami series. Do you see that comparison? I think Poole's better than Tyler Hero was in that 2020 finals. I just mean defensively how Poole's almost becoming unplayable just with his defense in this series. To me, it's very tough. He had five threes last game, and I think that's the type of offensive output he's going to have if he's going to play. He had a crazy play on Robert Williams tonight, but like just his offense is Oh yeah, that uh reverse under that the basket. That was nice. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was really nice. Yeah. But um yeah, he's just if his offense isn't going, I don't think he's playable. But do you see that kind of comparison there that Tyler Hero not really? Um I thought about it a little I'm bit. I was trying really sure. to remember See, Tyler Hero could not be played off the floor in that finals because they didn't have Dragic. So they okay. literally had him at point guard that was the only person who could create other than jimmy so they were never in a position where they could take here off the court like the warriors theoretically don't have to play pool i mean they i guess they do just because where does the non-step offense come from but even with pool where does the non-step offense come from i mean in the kevin durant days where did the non-step offense come from it is steph it has always been steph it will always be steph um, but I think I would give Hero a slight edge to what Poole is bringing right now, um, mm. just because I do think that he was more efficient offensively than what Jordan has been in this series. Okay, yeah, that's interesting because Hero was a rookie, I believe. That he was a rookie. Point? That's right. Okay, yeah. he was a rookie that season. Yeah, and I think Poole has a higher like ceiling. I guess I think Jordan Poole can create better. Um, he has a better kind of step back three as well. Maybe it's just like uh, just being in the moment because I'm watching Jordan Poole hit all these crazy threes across sure. the playoffs. Sure um but yeah like I, it's an interesting kind of comparison to me but yeah it's, it's nice to think back about that 2020 team we are uh, a far ways away from that but the Celtics <laughs> defense Celtics defense definitely brings back memories memories of that for sure I did see that uh Jordan Poole has sort of uh adopted the nickname Kid Splash which I think is very cute that's nice yeah. <laughs> that's very cute <laughs> that, that I'm on board with that Jordan Poole <laughs> What was the name of that lineup that actually hasn't really even played this playoffs? The uh... I don't think they ever gave it a name. Um, they didn't? Okay. I know Zach Lowe refers to it as like the pool party lineup. <laughs> um, but it's not really the pool party lineup because that implies that pool is the most important part of it. <laughs> sure. 
so yeah, I, I don't think that it has a name. The the death lineup is just like so organic, you know. Um, yeah. That fits and nice matches. Nice and easy. Yeah. N- yeah. Nice and fits. Um, but yeah, we haven't even seen that lineup really that much. Uh, if you remember how how crazy that was talked about, this well, that's Steph the problem Williams. because Andre Guadala was a key part of the death lineup, and that's right, is mm-hmm. unavailable. Like, I think that is a big piece for this because, like, yeah, sure, during the regular season, Andre Guadala is like the Warriors' eighth most important player, <laughs> but uh, during the finals, like, this is what he's built for, right? Like, he literally sure. is load managed for the entire season, even through the playoffs, to be ready for this specific series. Because the East is when they just bring out the wings, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I don't really understand it. The, the premier wings all seem to be in the Eastern conference uh, other than the Clippers, but they're never healthy. So it's, you know, it is what it is. But I, I think that absence is just uh, a little understated because I do think that if Iguodala is healthy, we're probably talking about a two, one warrior series and like a much more positive outlook for the Warriors going forward. That's interesting. I just think that his defense is so valuable. Like I'm watching Jason Tatum almost meet like no resistance on his way to the rim. And you can bet your ass that Andre Godal is going to provide some resistance on his way to the rim. Like the man was the finals MVP because of that specifically like that alone. I mean, he's had Andrew Wiggins kind of, you know, on him for pretty much the whole series. It's just the way the guys, right. It's him and Brown and Andrew can't be everywhere. It's not like when he was guarding Luca and it was literally like, I only need to guard Luca. <laughs> sure. But they switched Draymond on to Brown. Right. So mm-hmm. now it's Draymond guarding Jalen Brown who cooked him tonight. I mean, he, yeah, Draymond was bad. I, that's that's I, the problem. I think Draymond, I think, sorry, Jalen Brown kind of read all the stuff going out that, you know, mm-hmm. Draymond forced him into a five or 18 shooting or whatever it was from game two. You know, I think Iguodala helps for sure. He helps our health defense. I just like, I still think they need a rim deterrent. Like I think Boston has kind of figured out that they can just kind of attack the rim. And I think Robert Williams put pressure on them. Um, Al Horford as well, offensive rebounding. So it's interesting, but I'm again, 38, you know, it's the same issue we had. Like we were relying on 36 year old Trevor Reza, them relying on 38 year old Andre Godal. That's a tough thing to ask against two. We you know, were superstar relying wings. on Trevor Reza to make the playoffs. They are relying on Iguodala to win an NBA finals. There are different situations altogether. Does Remember say- when there was actually a storyline during the offseason of Iguodala weighing his options between the Lakers and the Warriors? What a freaking farce that was. Like he was ever going to come to the Lakers, please. Uh, what's that saying? Uh, if, well, if your second place is just the first to lose, yeah. so it doesn't matter, Sabrina, what <laughs> what round you lose in. Oh, man. Uh, you know what, what I will say is as little as we are enjoying these finals, Kent Bazemore is enjoying them less. <laughs> this poor man took less. sacrificed more money from the Warriors to come play for this train wreck of a team this year gets booted from the rotation like 15 games into the season and is the world's most expensive cheerleader for the majority of the year while watching his old buddies have a grand old time man do you think Bazemore's rooting for this the Warriors or the Celtics I think Bazemore you know I think he's rooting for the Warriors um and I think he wants a spot on the Warriors again next year mm-hmm. like I feel like Bazemore would love to go back yeah and I remember the offseason too I mean he was billed as our starting two guard like he was our he was our point of attack defender that replaced yeah. like KCP. kcp that's yeah that's what he was um that's what he was sold as so it, it, you know what's even sadder than that sentence raj the fact that you and i bought it 
that we genuinely believed it at the start of the season. <laughs> I will die on no this No lie, hill. I believed it. <laughs> I thought Ken Bazemore was a great minimum signing. I was like, yeah, that guy plays some defense, played on the Warriors, he gets some threes, why not? I mean, I just I think the fit was awful. Like, there's no way Bazemore was that bad. Like, I, <laughs> I like I think he has, you know, there's still a good that- player there. <laughs> I mean, like he's not uh, Ken Bazemore's what, like thirty-two years old. He he's can run the literally floor. Literally, like my age, yeah. He forgot how to shoot, but so did everyone else on our team. So, like, like I can't just throw him into that. And I'm not saying we'd resign him. I'm just saying, like, I don't think he was sixteenth man, a fifteenth man on the team that's relying on two ways because he can't get on the court. Like, he's not that bad. It's just that's the situation that happened, and I'm love to kind of. I won't have this opportunity probably, but like to talk with Bazemore and see like what actually happened there, but. Yeah, like there's no way Kent could have Bazemore should have been that bad, right? So I mean, like he's on a team next year. I would I welcome re-signing him. <laughs> Is that where we are? I would welcome it. <laughs> I honestly think the Lakers could do a lot worse than re-signing Kent Bazemore. And if we think about it, um, Kent Bazemore after he left the Lakers the first time went to Atlanta, right? Yes. That was the Mike Budenholzer Hawks mm-hmm. assistant coach for Mike oh. Budenholzer, Darvin Ham. Well, that's a that's a really nice connection there. Yeah, I yeah. didn't even think about that. That's really good. Are well, we on I, the Laker? Are we on I can the Laker see portion now? Back. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get away from the finals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Palinka did sell him last offseason. He could probably sell him oh again this this offseason. Uh, but I mean, if you brought him back on a minimum, I would have zero problem with that. Zero. Yeah, because we know we were... first of all that he's not going to take away minutes from other players, <laughs> and that's he's a mean, great uh... bench presence. For sure. Uh, I just think like every roster spot is so important next season. Like, I mean, uh, I think Kevin Bazemore is better than your average 15th man. Oh, for sure. I just, this is a good question. Kent Bazemore is better than your average blank man. Raj, what number goes in the blank? I think better than your average 10th man. Like I think he is. Yeah. Give him a roster spot. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. It's just, he didn't fit next to LeBron James. Like I, like I've heard like something, something went awry, awry there, right? Like something he, didn't go right. I still think he could fit next to okay. LeBron Yeah. I mean, he played a lot of minutes next to DeAndre Jordan and he was probably Frank the big... clearly lost faith in him, but Hey, it's no longer Frank, you know? Sure. Sure. And uh, before the show, you know, you said if we were trying to find any Laker kind of uh, things to relate the finals to, mm-hmm. We both listened to the Darwin Ham press conference, right? Sure, and yeah. I don't want this to make this a Russell Westbrook podcast because we've done that, I think, enough. But when I'm watching, so Darwin Ham went into Russ and he went on to him actually quite a bit, not just in the pressure, but other places on NBA Today, I think, as well, talking about his role. So he basically wants Russell Westbrook to be what the Warriors have done with Andrew Wiggins, right? Like, that's basically what Darwin Ham described. Like, when I'm watching the Warriors and I watch Andrew Wiggins today, I'm like, this is what Darvin Ham wants Russell Westbrook wants him to, to be. commit to defending, right? Defending Make sacrifices offensively. Yeah, uses athleticism uh, for his defense, mm-hmm. getting running principles in there that Andrew Wiggins has obviously taken with the Warriors. And I think that's the only way. Now, I don't believe that's something that can be applied. Like, I just, I'm, I am far off from there. <laughs> but so the last time we spoke, Ham was not announced officially yet. Correct. But now we were he theorizing has, as to why that was the case. Yeah. Right. Sabrina, the Russell Westbrook stuff is getting louder, not. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's getting really loud where I cannot ignore it. Um, so that's the only way and I, that I can see. And I'm a little worried that that's kind of the way they're going. But 
did you see that as well? Like, do you agree that's kind of what he was describing as the like dream Russell Westbrook um, scenario? I guess is that I would agree Andrew that the, the prototype that he was describing is very similar to the transition that Andrew Wiggins underwent from Minnesota to Golden State, where he was uh, a low efficiency, high volume player in Minnesota who was not contributing to winning. Mm-hmm. Again, that sounds very familiar to the Russell Westbrook experience that we had last year. And then he sacrificed his usage, committed more defensively, and fits into an overall system. Both on Max Heels. This way. is where I have a problem with the comparison. Sure. Andrew Wiggins has space to attack the basket because he is surrounded by two of the greatest shooters of all time. Russell Westbrook had no shooting last year. <laughs> nothing around him. My man was surrounded by 19% from three Anthony Davis, DeAndre Jordan, and Kent Bazemore for vast majority of the first part of the year. Um, and also, Andrew Wiggins was, what, 25 when he was traded to the Warriors? Like he was at a now. point mm-hmm. where he was being laughed at, right? Like he had sure. accomplished very little, relatively speaking, for a number one pick. He'd never been an all-star, right? Never even been an all-star consideration. The man sure. was rookie of the year and literally only because three other guys in the lottery had knee injuries halfway through the season that knocked him out of consideration. Like Jabari Parker, um, I forget who exactly, but like it was, it was not exactly a close race. Like there was not a lot of contenders <laughs> for that particular award. Um, but after winning rookie of the year, he had done nothing, right? There was that famous story of Glenn Taylor sitting him down and asking him to promise that he would commit to getting better. And then Andrew Pinky promised promise, to get better yeah. and he got the max contract. And lo and behold, he did not get better. Russ is coming from a place where he has a lot of accomplishments to point to. You know, he's sure. got the list of all-stars. He's got the all-star MVPs. He's got all NBA selections. He has the MVP award and he has this, you know, magnificent triple double stat that I don't think anyone's going to come close to. Mm-hmm. If I've understood anything from the Russell Westbrook, the Russell Westbrook experience last year, the man does not feel the need to sacrifice. He doesn't need to prove anything. He has already right. proven that he's one of the 75 greatest players of all time. Did I agree with that selection? Probably not, but <laughs> he was on the list. And so it's very hard to convince a guy who's at that stature to be like, Hey, you've been doing something wrong. You need to fix your approach when he can just say, Oh, all of these trophies suggest otherwise. <laughs> so all of that is a very roundabout way of saying that I have zero faith that Russell Westbrook is going to have any sort of Andrew Wiggins type transformation. I only think that Darvin Ham said those things about him because what else is he supposed to say? You know, the man is sitting in the room of the press conference. Is he supposed to say, I don't think Russell Westbrook was particularly good last year. I would not like to have him on the roster this year. (laughs) No, he's not going to say that. Um, He also said though, that he wants to make the game easier for LeBron James. That to me is not having Russell Westbrook on the court. (laughs) So that was more enlightening to me than any nice things he may have said about the career that Russell Westbrook has had to date, which I agree. Very nice career. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's the only kind of thing I can think of. I mean, obviously I think Ham was just kind of speaking towards that because Russ is still on the team, similar to Vogel, I think getting questions about the young core or whatever, before we got Anthony Davis, um, so, yeah, but I mean, the talks are getting louder and we don't have to continue on Russell Westbrook uh, in that scenario. But I just Lovely. think it's interesting. That doesn't fit with the I love basketball <laughs> theme at all. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and I guess I'm not really sure what else to take from there. I mean, Ham kind of went into what most things, what most coaches say, I guess, in their introductory press conference. Him saying Anthony Davis is the key. I agreed with that. Like, I, mm-hmm. 
Sabrina, I think Anthony Davis has been the key for like three years now. And I wish well, that's the problem. Anthony- that's how you've had three seasons. Two seasons. I'm sorry. I wish Anthony Davis knows that. Like I hope he knows that now, like that he is that he is the key. Um, and maybe Ham can kind of get that out of him. A lot of people bring up, you know, Giannis and AD comparisons in that uh kind of together. I don't think they play the same way. Um, but you know, maybe Ham can kind of tell AD something to kind of keep that motor up, like like he like Giannis does. I'm not sure. What do you think about that's a really good point? I think the main comparison you can make or the main like attribute that AD could take away from Giannis is definitely that motor because there are very few times when I watch the Bucks play, even during the regular season where I think Mm -hmm. Giannis's effort is sort of costing them. They're like Giannis is coasting here. And granted, it's easier to look like you're doing things when your arms cover the entire length of the court and you can just like get in passing lanes no matter what. But AD has physical advantages too. Like he can do things like that, not to the same extent as Giannis. I mean, call him the Greek no freak after all. But uh, I do think that just that level of consistency that Giannis brings during the regular season is something that would be delightful to have from Anthony Davis. Yeah. And, you know, since this is I love basketball, there was a couple more basketball points Ham talked about. He said he wants to commit to a uh, one out, uh, sorry, four out, one in style mm-hmm. so when did you did you read that as anthony davis is my center or did you read that kind of as you know russell westbrook's the one inside or, another or, indication uh, that russell westbrook is not going to be on this roster because he is not the out <laughs> he cannot be um when the in no that's anthony davis he is the key okay. right sure yeah. sure if anthony uh, davis is the key that means he's staying and I mean, he also said Anthony Davis was the centerpiece, which I I'm assuming was used not because it has the word center in it, but no, AD is definitely the in and Russell Westbrook is out of LA. That's how I see it. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope so. And I hope he can kind of bring those principles. Um, Milwaukee runs some great offensive stuff. Hopefully it's not just straight, you know, post-ups anymore for Anthony Davis. Darham yeah. wants to wants to run, which I think most coaches say when they kind of everybody on says it. that everybody yeah. wants to run. Uh, we'll see how that's kind of uh, implied when they play. But uh, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful Serena, that uh, that this is the step we you know, like I said, we won the first part of the offseason. Phil Handy staying on, which is, you know, incredible. Another nice great. thing for the another Lakers, win. Yeah. We're you know, we got two wins this offseason. Well, we'll see if we can kind of keep it up. But it's it's the a one great thing step. I do like about him coming from Milwaukee is that they play they have a lot of versatility to the way they play, right? They can go yeah. small, um, but they prefer to play big with these like anchors defensively. And um, I think that's just very useful for like, you know, if Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center all the time, uh, which I mean, I'm at the point, like the Russell Westbrook situation where the guy is just not going to change his stripes. Like he's not going to play center just because you ask him nicely. Uh, sure. So I think just uh, coming from that system where like, the Brooke Lopez archetype, like that's a very useful kind of player that I think the Lakers should pursue. Uh, but um, he's not like if he had come out and say like, you know, I want to, I want to run like a five out like spacing system like that just would have felt disingenuous with the type of personnel sure. that the Lakers have like coming, coming out and like at least, you know, some, some sort of compromise in terms of the spacing requirements, I think was a good way of starting things out and the fact that he just like has this experience with like big, heavy lineups. I mean, they were starting Lopez Portis and Giannis together in the playoffs, right. Without Middleton. So I I just like that. He has the background of, you know, doing different kinds of things, which just should make him more adaptable in theory. Yeah. And you know, this, 
it goes back again. Like, I'm not sure where to evaluate anything until we see the roster. Like, it's really, really tough. I went and looked at the Bucks roster. I'm like, can we, like, they have Portis, Brooks, you know, like, can you even find one of those players in this offseason to add to that level of talent to this uh, to this team this summer? Um, I'm really not sure. But, uh, I mean, Kendrick Nunn's on the roster. Austin Reeves <laughs> is on the roster. It was cool hearing. Where is Kendrick Nunn? Why wasn't he at the press conference? Um, that's a good question. I, I really have, have no clue. Um, but it was cool hearing, seeing him, like, bring up Stanley Johnson, which is, like, a really awesome thing. I think Stanley Johnson was working out in there before the press conference, so that was cool. He's a guy that will be on the team next year. But, yeah, you compare it. I mean, people are comparing, you know, him to Bud. But, I mean, like, the rosters is what's just so interesting. I, I don't know if we can find – they have, like, eight power forwards. We don't there. even have a roster right now. <laughs> like, Very true. It's, yeah. it's LeBron, AD, Russ, THT, Nunn, Johnson, Gabriel Reeves, right? I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. How many would play in this final? So, yeah. <laughs> two, two and a half. Who is worse? Jonathan Kaminga, Wendy Gabriel or Stanley Johnson? <laughs> How would you rank those? I think Kaminga like, would today, definitely be up today. there. <laughs> yeah. Kaminga would still be up there and then Stanley yeah. for sure. Kaminga's not think... playing. Then those other two are not playing. So that's where I stand. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and I saw Wiseman shooting before, you know, on shoot around today, which is so interesting. <laughs> I hope for the best for him. It's I just you read all these stories about these high draft picks who like just sure mentally have a hard time dealing with it after they flame out. And I just would never want that for anybody. So I hope Wiseman gets like a, you know, a decent NBA career started next year. Like it just it just sucks to be in that position. Oh. No, but like, uh, obviously, I hope the best for Wiseman, but like the wild part is like they need an athletic, you know, center who can jump, who can jump out on screen. (laughs) I mean, for this series, like they could use another athletic big. They could use LaMelo. Oh, I mean, LaMelo would be unfair. (laughs) I mean, I think the basketball gods just made sure that, you know, we have some kind of parity, Sabrina, in this league. I don't think it would be fair if LaMelo got, got handed to them, too. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's more depressing state of the Lakers roster or the fact that the Celtics are two wins away from their 18th championship, but I hope for the best for Steph Curry's knee. Um, This is the second time this season that he's been injured against Boston. And I don't think it's because Boston plays cleanly. Um, And, you know, I've, I've come around to rooting for the Warriors, you know, like they, uh, California team, you know, (laughs) built the right way. Love Clay Thompson. You know, Michael Thompson's one of our guys. Absolutely. Um, I have obviously a lot of respect for the elderly in the NBA having watched the Lakers this past season. So Andre, you know, has our has our love. <laughs> I hope that he's healthy for game four. Uh Raj, um, so the next game is on Friday. Mm-hmm. And then is it game five on Sunday or Monday? I think they get two days quick. off between that. Oh, because they have the travel, right? So you'd think that they'd have yeah. more time in between games. Um Let's just see real quick. This is uh, just truly excellent audio. Yeah, yeah. So they will have played games four and five by the next time you and I speak. What do you think the score of the series will be by then? So I, think I swear to God, if Boston has won a title by then, we're not recording. It's just not happening. Am I just going solo? Is that what no, you're saying? <laughs> Call Aaron. <laughs> uh, so I have, I definitely have the Warriors winning game four. Okay. I have Boston. I'm sorry. Warriors winning game four. Warriors game winning game five. And I have a three-two series coming back to Boston for 
for game six where sadly i do think the celtics win game six and we're going oh, so back we're going seven. seven okay we are going seven what do you okay. think um i'm gonna leave it your prediction i i think that's a great way to you know end the show i i like that optimistic outlook to send things off here uh i did want to talk about the sparks a little bit today just because there was sure. big news this week but again i wanted to end on a positive note so <laughs> let's just let's just stop there we can bring up the sparks next week um Raj, is there anything you wanted to add about finals, Lakers, anything? I think that's it. Uh, well, yeah. just really quickly, Derek Fisher was let go. He was right fired now. as head coach yeah. and GM of the Los Angeles Sparks. Uh, on the one hand, I guess I am going to get into this. On the one hand, I think it's a good move. I don't think he was particularly good as head coach. Uh, I did think he was a pretty decent GM, but it's very hard to separate those two. And you can't exactly fire your head coach midseason and just tell him to stay in the front office. Like that just isn't done. Um, I wrote a lot about this at SB Nation, if uh, any of you care to read it. Um, but I guess in the aggregate, it is good news for the Sparks to be able to move on to a new system. Um, you have watched the Sparks a little bit this year. I'm sure yeah. you would agree that their offense is a little clunky and sure. uh, they don't defend particularly well this year either. So it was probably time for a change. Uh, thankfully, their record is still close enough to 500 that they're still in the playoffs. Sure. So um, usually when a head coach gets fired, you get that like, you know, immediate rush of adrenaline. Jump. You win mm-hmm. the first game. Sparks are playing Vegas this weekend. I don't think they're going to get that. Tough game. I uh, <laughs> I like the Sparks a lot, obviously. I have a great time watching them. The Aces are pretty freaking incredible. So I hope that Fred Williams uh, picks up his first win as the Sparks head coach very soon. Just don't think it's going to happen on Saturday, but I would love to be proven wrong. Well, they are at home, so maybe we mm-hmm. you know the home crowd kind of pushed them to uh... – to a win on on Saturday, right? I believe they Saturday, Saturday, yes, so, at Crypto.com yeah. Arena. So I was one of the last people to see Derek Fisher coach. I think I went to a recent Sparks game, so got to see. Oh him. man, went to Sparks practice on Friday before they left for Phoenix. Had a lovely talk with Fish. Um, <laughs> told him to take care at the end of it. You know, have a safe trip to Phoenix. Didn't realize uh, he was coaching for his job, but here we are. <laughs> it's uh, I know we're, we got to run soon, but like I'm I'm surprised. Fisher's one of those guys. Like when he was playing, you were like. That's a coach. Like that's a guy who I think we put a little too much stock into the point guard coach archetype. I think we know anyone's it. gonna work, it's that guy, right? Derek like, Fisher was he wasn't the, running the... the offense, he was a triangle Fair. point guard. Okay. Fair. It's a very different role than being like a Chris Paul point guard, you know? That's fair. That's fair. Although I don't think Chris I don't think Chris Paul is going into coach. No, he's gonna be a coach. <laughs> but I do wish Fish all the best. Obviously, I have very fond memories of him as a Laker. He's very gracious with his time with me when he was the head coach of Sparks. And, you know, hopefully the Sparks made the right move here. But we'll see. Probably see him on Spectrum. So uh, probably will. I hope they get some dirt that I have not been able to. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. Um, You heard it here first from Raj that uh, the next time we speak, the Warriors will be up 3-2 in the NBA Finals. Knock on wood. But, you know, this is I Love Basketball and we think about things positively. So, hey, look forward to seeing the Golden State bounce back and make sure you're subscribed to the Silver Screen Roll podcast for talk about the NBA, I suppose, every day of the week, as well as the Lakers and Sparks thrown in. We'll be back next Wednesday. Take care.